This is the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, where you'll get ideas about improving your bottom line in business and in life from experts around the world. Would you tell our uh, audience a little bit about yourself and your company? They should be familiar with you because you've been with us before. I have, and I'm glad to be back, Doug. Thanks for having me again. Uh, my name's Ed Vizio. I'm the CEO of Group Harmonics. Uh, we are a company that specializes in um, analytical approaches to group work. Basically, what we say is we have seven decades of understanding and experience and research that says when a group of people get together to do some work and coordinate it, there are ways they can act that make the output go up and the stress go down. And about 20% of people that are getting together in groups to work are working that way and the other 80% aren't. And so we'd like to help more people work like those 20% because we think it's better all over the place, better for the people, better for the output, et cetera. So that's, that's our focus and our focus is on management and management culture because that seems to be the highest leverage in that regard. Now, here we have, how do you get a group together these days with the COVID-19 keeping people uh, essentially as what we are doing, working with Zoom? Or well, you know, something else. It is all virtual now. And I suppose, you know, more virtual will be here than was before. But there was also an awful lot of virtual before. And so we have companies that were at various stages of being good at it. And they've all been sort of accelerated now. If they weren't far along the road, they're all getting pushed along the road. But, but most of the, you know, most of our humanity, Doug, comes across the same way. We have the same fears and the same, you know, neural circuitry that causes fear response, those kind of things. So it's a subtle shift, but I would say it isn't a, sub, a substantial change in the sort of neurological things that are driving the group work in the right or the wrong direction. It's just some different tools. Now, how do you get that 80% uh, essentially on track? Can you get all 80% or do you say, well, I'm happy if I can get half of the 80%? Well, I can't take them all at once. Um, we, we take them one company at a time. And, and what it looks like is a culture change. And so I'm, I'm kind of a weird guy because I'm, I, I don't ever coach an executive without sitting in the management team and watching the management team happen. So I'll work with the executive before and after and, and sometimes at other points during the week, but I'm in those meetings for a period of time. And so what that lets me do is it lets me sort of keep on the left-hand column of my brain what we know is supposed to be happening in those meetings because those meetings are where the culture happens. And in the right-hand column of my brain, I can look at what's going on and I can make useful, reasonable recommendations. So I can't, you know, it's not, it doesn't work to say to somebody, here's how it should be if that's too far from where they are. Uh, but it does work to say, try this one thing next week. Let's see what happens. And, and I've, I've really had some good success with, you know, over the course of not a lot of months, getting a very long distance of improvement a step at a time. Not surprising, Iterate is my book, a step at a time, right? So that's how we do it, a step at a time, you know, a personal organization at a time. As you said in these meetings, watching executives, you probably say, well, I've seen this 10,000 times, or, and you occasionally say, what? What did they just do? And can you give us an example? Uh, well, an example of one that I've seen a lot would be, you know, I think, I think every... Uh, every management team has in it some level of a fictitious belief that they can see the future. And I think you need some sort of faith in that because, you know, you'd like to have a plan of where you're going and what it looks like and, and execute that plan. What I've seen in, in the best companies and, and the standard we're trying to reach for is we're very overt with ourselves about how much we're guessing, right? So we, we know we can't make a plan in January and hold to it all year. 
we can make a plan in January and say, here's what we think is going to happen. And then we can sit together, you know, on February 1st and say, okay, here's the plan we had. Here's the new understanding of the likely course we'll take if we keep on the road we're on right now. Here's how that's different or not from the plan. And so what can we do today to bring those two futures kind of back into alignment, right? To, to minimize the variance between the future we now think we're going to get given the path we're on and the future we wanted to get. Or do we need to just admit we want a different future and, and adjust the, you know, the expected outcome, that kind of thing. So that's what we like to have happening. One thing that happens an awful lot in management teams, and I mean at all levels, not just executives, is it, it's just very easy to get into a conversation about history and status, right? So here's what happened last week. Here's why it happened. Here's who's what's fault. Here's where we are today. And, and that can take up so much of the meeting that you never really get around to so how does the new future vary from the old future? And what should we do about it? Uh, and that's one of the key things I'm watching for is, you know, and especially now, you know, we know we don't know, but we also know we know more today than we knew a week or a month ago. Is that the conversation we're having? Or are we still, you know, either saying we don't know or pretending we do because neither of those works. Now, here's, here's something. Uh, one thing I've noticed over the years, many executives, if you really bored into them, are timid people. They're a little bit afraid to make any major moves. And now we're looking not just at the COVID-19 pandemic, but we're also looking at a huge recession, if not a depression, depending on how you define these things. And so how do we make plans for the future using your ideas? You know, Doug, my, my experience with the vast number of executives I've been with is they aren't timid so much as they are change averse because they're pragmatic. And a lot of executives, you know, if you get them alone and get them in an honest situation, will say, you know, here's the thing. I have a big steering wheel. And when I yank the wheel, the ship doesn't turn. So if I want to make a big turn, I have to have a poster campaign and change management, run around the organization and sell it. If I want to make a small turn, you know, my team kind of, they go into this kind of silo mode and they start trying to argue for their part. And so I think executives are intelligent people and they are sort of pragmatic and they, they get to a point where they feel like, you know, I got to save my silver bullets, right? And that, that looks like timidness and that looks like change aversion. And it sort of is, you know, is the result, that's the result. But I, what I've found is that when we start to give executives through these better management practices, you know, a management team that actually is saying, hey, we're all working toward the same goal. Hey, we're all looking at, you know, to what extent is the thing we're doing right now going to get us where we're going? And if it's not, how do we shuffle and shift between us to get better as opposed to, you know, I've got my stuff and you've got yours and, you know, I'm not going to share kind of thing. And if you get that situation in place, if you get that steering wheel to be a little less decorative and a little more functional, you know, they'll start pulling on it more. And, and by the way, the more you pull on it, the more it works, right? So, so make some small changes, build the muscle in your team, you know, and right now, I mean, if ever there was a time to say, look, we don't know what we're going to know next week, right? We don't know anything. So all we can do is make a decision that we have to make right now and we make it as best we can. And we all just sort of hold hands and know we may change it tomorrow. And if we do, it's not because we made a mistake. It's because we learned. We learn as we go here and that's what we do. And I'm hoping that one upside of this crisis will be more focus on that approach. We learn as we go and that's okay. Well, that, and of course, if you learn as you go, you also make mistakes as you go. Uh, how, how do mistakes factor into your overall plan? 
You know, a mistake is an interesting thing because I, I always talk about this metaphor of, you know, you're walking to your car and you don't know where it is across the parking lot. And, and so if you got done and you sort of, you know, you went around a hole here and you went that way and, and then you got all done and you, you had one of those like app maps that you could then look at where you started or where you ended, you could look and go, look, I made a mistake. I went the wrong way here. I went too far. But to call it a mistake sort of supposes that you had that map as you started walking, right? Um, it, it's not a mistake if you make the best decision you can. And then from learning from that, you learn to make a different decision. Is that a mistake? I mean, we get very philosophical here, but really that's the iterative process, right? That's how computers simulate weather, right? Take some steps, then look at it. What did we learn? So I think, I do think you're right though. I think there's a lot of focus on avoiding mistakes. And that's another one of those reasons that wheel gets sort of less functional and more decorative is if I make a turn and someone calls it wrong, what does it mean? Whereas if we have sort of a general culture and general understanding that I'm going to make turns, we're going to learn from them. And when something looks like it was wrong in the past, that's because we've learned something new, you know, fail forward fast, right? Make another mistake and make another best decision. I think that starts to solve a lot of that problem too. I, I wonder though, uh, if the fail forward fast, which is a great philosophy, I think, uh, will apply as uh, revenues dry up and, uh, businesses start to hunker down, get into their shells, so to speak, and see if they can just avoid the onrushing flames of the recession. You know, these are, these are terrible times in a lot of businesses in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, what we're faced with, what we see companies faced with is kind of impossible decisions. And, you know, sort of like, do we, you know, do we risk this kind of collapse or do we risk that kind of collapse? And, and those are, significantly more painful decisions than, you know, which way do we grow or what markets do we pursue or those kind of things. Um, although, you know, you can find plenty of leaders who will say, you know, if we get those wrong, it's equally catastrophic for the company, right? So I, there is a level, I think, of emotional distress here that is very real and, and very understandable. I also think the, the process is basically the same, which is to say, what do we know? What do we not know? Let's be clear with ourselves what we know and what we're guessing at. And also, what do we have to decide right now? And what can we not decide yet? Because one of the things that tends to happen in groups, this is another one of those things that you see a lot, is you sort of end up with this artificial pressure where like the meeting is ending in a half an hour and we need to make a decision. And the end of the meeting is not what should trigger the need for a decision. Sometimes the end of the meeting is the need for a decision because we have to go and do something. Other times we can say, let's let it play out for a week or a day or a month or Let's make this part of the decision now because we have to, but let's leave this other part of the decision for later. And if we can get groups doing better group work and functioning better, and we can talk about how that goes, then we can start to see some of that. You know, when we have groups who are, although it's understandable, although it's very human, very much in a fear mode, very much in a duck and cover mode, you know, very tense, then it's different neurology and the, the process will be different and the outcomes will be measurably worse and we'll start making decisions because we feel like we have to when we don't, those will be worse. And it just, it's a downhill spiral. What, what are you hearing from uh, business people around the country? You know, I think it's, it's the, the, probably the most surprising thing to me about this and other people in my world that I talk to is just how different it hits different people. You've got businesses who are already, you know, at or near failure. You've got businesses who have surged upwards because they have a product or an offering or something that lends itself to the virtual world, right? You have businesses who, you know, we were already doing 20% of our work remotely, so we just do more of it now. We have businesses who never touched, you know, Zoom or anything like that until, you know, it all started. So it's really, 
they're really all over the place. And, and what I'm seeing is, you know, my, my sort of focus is how do we iterate into and, and step our way through this a step at a time intelligently. And, you know, it's interesting. I have businesses in different stages of, of you know, trouble or growth that are recognizing that, okay, w- whether we're in trouble or growth, movement into uncertainty has got to be a strength, right? This idea of iterative management, of, of just taking a step and learning from it and not trying to fictitiously plan the whole route because we can't is going to get us through. It's going to maximize our chance of survival. It's going to maximize our chance of growth in some cases. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're not closing the doors today, then you want to be thinking in these terms in one way or another. Do you get a sense of uh, continued optimism or is there a lot of pessimism out there? You know, again, I think it's, it, it, there's both. Uh, one thing that I remember very vividly from the, the 08, 09 recession was, you know, I'm in the sort of organizational development training consulting space. And, and, you know, traditionally, this is something that sort of gets cut way back in downtimes. And, and so I end up having these conversations about, you know, where do you think you are with these things? And, and 08, 09, there were two months where I stopped having business development conversations because all my clients and all my prospects were saying, we don't know, we can't do anything. You know, we're afraid the world is ending. And it was almost like everything just stopped. And I'll tell you, Doug, I haven't seen that here. I've, I've had a lot of conversations, even with people that are in some trouble about how do we climb out? What do we do next? You know, what does make sense? What doesn't? And so I feel like in a very... I have an engineering background. This is hard for me to say, but in a very qualitative way, the energy, the focus is really different. Um, There's very much a let's get through it sense as opposed to a sort of batten down the hatches. We're in for trouble sense in, I think, a large number of people that I'm talking to. Certainly there are some, again, who have very real problems and you can't blame them for, you know, wrapping it up because they have no choice. But I think there's a whole on the whole, you know, there's more optimism, I think, than I might have expected. And where can our audience get more information about you and your company? Well, thanks for asking. I, my approach and, and my company, you can find at iteratenow.com. So it's just iteratenownow.com. And what's there is some, there's actually a button there for COVID-19 help that has some free resources that we released. That's right at the top. And then if you if you find your way down a little bit, there's something we're doing called rapid virtual coaching. Turns out that this observing meetings got easier and cheaper when all the meetings are virtual because I don't have to fly there to do it. So we're able to do more of that now a little more efficiently. So, so all, and there's other good resources there too, some videos and things that will help kind of help people think about how to think about iteration in terms of management and how to run a little better. So yeah, iteratenow.com. And what would you like to add that uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about? And as you know, from your experience with us, it could be anything. You know, maybe the one thing that I want to say is, disagreement has become an interesting thing, I think, in these times. And, and, you know, you might think, you know, disagreement is bad. First of all, disagreement is important, right? If we have different people with different, let's say, parts of the organization or requirements they understand, we want disagreement as part of the problem-solving process. We don't want it personal. We don't want it mean. But we want people to say, look, I see that from your perspective, doing this is an outcome that we'll be like. But if you do that, here's what happens to my work. And here's why that's, you know, bad for the whole or whatever, right? So we want that. And I think what I'm seeing now is, you know, there's two ways you can fail on disagreement. The one that we all sort of know about is when there's too much of it, right? And, and you need to have some ways to not personalize it and to make it database as opposed to, you know, unstructured, those kind of things. I've seen some interesting movement toward not enough disagreement, where it's sort of like with this COVID thing, we're all in it together, and, which is great and true, by the way. But, you know, and so I don't want to disagree with my peer 
because I want to have a unified front. And, and that's a beautiful sentiment. But if I and my peer have different understandings of what has to happen, and I hear him or her express that one, and I understand something different, and I don't share it, respectfully, politely, yes, but if I don't share it, I'm leaving something off the table that we all need, including that person. So I'm, I think I've become even more of an advocate for productive, useful disagreement, you know, not sabotage. Once you make a decision, we keep it. But disagreement, like expressing what I understand and respectfully disagreeing when, when it's necessary, because that's where the good decisions come from. You know, it's sort of like either we shut it down or we turn everything on. Nope, we have to have a, something else, right? It's, it's all levels of nuance. You've been listening to the CVBT Audio Interview Podcast, one-on-one interviews with experts in business and personal growth. Keep up to date with all of our podcasts and news that impacts business by subscribing to our daily email newsletter. To sign up for a free introductory subscription, please send us your preferred email address. Our email is editor at biznews.com. That's spelled B-I-Z-G-N-U-S dot com. Thanks for listening.